Welcome to another episode of the Ask a CISO podcast, powered by Harangi, Asia's leader in cloud security. Every episode, you get insider tips and insights into current challenges and newest trends in cybersecurity from the world's best experts to help level up your cybersecurity career. Here's your host, Paul Hadji, to introduce today's guest. Hello and welcome again to another installment of Ask a CISO podcast from Harangi, where we help your ship get to where it needs to go and navigate through the rough waters of cybersecurity. Today, I have a great guest with me. I have Michael Smith Jr., who's recently been appointed the APAC GM for startups and digital native businesses at Microsoft. Before that, Michael was heading up the solutions architecture team in APJ for AWS startup segment. Two things that keep popping up here are startups. I think that's <laughs> Michael has a. That's all there great, is. That's all yeah, there is. That's right. You've been working here in APAC inside and just outside of startups since 1999. You were a partner at Seed Plus, which was helping a lot of startups in their seed round. Uh, long list here Homage, Koala, Neuron, Mobility. Yeah, those uh, are all the investments. Startups. Yeah. Engage Rocket. Oh man, it keeps going. It keeps going. We've got Moglix, Rukita, and Travel Stop. So you've been doing that quite some time. You've been here since 1999 working in these startups. And my first question for you, Michael, is even today, there's still this big debate about what impact are our startups having on the environment here in APAC? I think startups are starting to win that, that argument, but it's still a battle. And I can imagine <laughs> in 1999, it was a super uphill battle. And there was nothing. So it seems to me if you were here in 1999, you must have seen something everyone else didn't. So why APAC? Why startups? Yeah, so I got moved. I mean, just quick. I got moved from or move. I chose to move from America to Hong Kong in 99, working for like a lot of pre-cloud stuff. And that was this company called WebLogic, which was one of the first J2EE application servers. I know I'm dating myself with this because people are going, what's J2EE? But <laughs> believe it or not, it was big back in the day. It was a big uh, one. Still, it was a big one. It, you know, Java's still around. It hasn't gone anywhere. So BEA bought WebLogic and later Oracle ended up buying BEA. So that's kind of that thing. But what even then I was trying to, I looked at the whole business, but I was also trying to figure out how to like engage the, a lot of times you would see people and focused on de developer relations or just engage the development community. Maybe the label wasn't startup then as much, sure. but yeah, I, for me, yeah, it was just go build things and you want to help people do it. Right. So yeah. I've always been there. And then Asia was new to me. Obviously I was born and raised in the States and uh, I had an opportunity to go to Europe or Asia. I picked Asia. It was Hong Kong. And been around Asia ever since. I haven't never moved back since I moved at that point. So I've lived in Hong Kong, China, Thailand, and Singapore. Yeah, it's always been startups. I think it got more, I guess, really focused on it in the 2000s, more like mid-2000s around it. And yeah, when I first, I mean, some people may remember Singapore then, I don't know. But like, remember Hackerspace and a few of these things? I actually was roaming the streets with Meng Wong, looking for the hackerspace location, like go way back. This is pre like JFDI and pre any of these programs. Now I wasn't, I'm not going to say people weren't doing startups or that there's somebody, I'm sure they're building one back then, but it's nothing like what you see today. Right. And, right. and I think, you know, I always joke when I hear somebody complaining or talking about 
they can't do this or they can't find that or they can't find employees. I just go, do you know how good you have it now? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yeah. That, there's an ecosystem now. You can't argue with it. Like, yes, there's absolutely can. an ecosystem. There's fun. I can only imagine what it was in 1999, you know, like, Um, like nothing, there were no tools, there were no tools to work with. And none of the, none of the global players were investing that much in the region and stuff like that. So I've been around, it wasn't always startups, but it was like you said, building things. I think for the last decade plus, it's really only been startups starting back when I was working at Yahoo. That was actually to try to help people use the Yahoo technology for their businesses But when you look what is happening now versus then, it's stunning. I'm sure everybody could say there's still things to work on. Like, do we see enough exits or is the biggest big enough? But I think the demographics, the amount of funding and the amount of startups being created, there's just no question about it, right? It's huge. And I think it's also, you know, there's a slowdown kind of going on. People say there's a slowdown going on. I mean, we could argue that one, but... I don't really see it in the ecosystem because what I see is that the demographics are still creating the kind of demand curve that is going to be with us for a long, many more years to come. And startups have a huge place in that, right? There's just no doubt about it. So it's an exciting time. And I think, yeah, the world's rough right now. I won't argue that. But if you kind of put some of that aside and say, what, what am I doing in Southeast Asia you would have to consider that there's still tons of opportunity and a lot of confidence around what's what's possible, right? And that's that's where I'm at today. Like, let's kind of see it for what it is. It's amazing. I guess I would even go further to say, even from like a meta, like macro level, right? The real question is, are there still problems to be solved? Right? Yes. And there's plenty. There's some, yeah. We live in a world of problems, right? So I think essentially when you talk about startups, like you said, before they were called startups, it was just people building things. And before it was people building things, it was people solving problems, right? So I think at the end of the day, the conversation about it is, is startup gone or is it, you know, or, or I don't think it's ever going to be gone because we're never going to really. Let's hope not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. And I think some of the big problems, like you said, are still yet to be maybe solved or maybe solved at scale. And I think as the world keeps evolving, these problem sets open up even more. And I also think that, you know, you guys probably know this yourself as your own company. There's companies being born and bred here are now selling abroad, right? Yes. And that's another amazing thing that wasn't happening on a regular concurrence. Now you have companies that say, hey, I'm born and bred in Singapore. I'm doing X, but I have a market here, here, and there. That's also the power of like what's happening with the ecosystem and the connectivity of the world. You're having markets that are not even around here. Do you think so that this increased connectivity the world getting smaller. These are all factors that are helping APAC startups make global impact, right? Are there any other big factors that you would you throw into that mix that we see today that weren't there maybe 10, 20 years ago? Well, I think just the whole function of online cross-commerce and payments and logistics and fulfillment, you know, even putting the COVID nuttiness aside, how it kind of accelerated all that. It's just amazing now what's kind of happening with like cross region selling and what's happening with all the payment and logistical things like that just wasn't really around before. Right. You were never really sitting online back then and saying, oh, I'm going to order from here and order from here and it's going to come in a couple of days and the shipping's not that much. That's amazing. And then it was also like 
you know, maybe credit card was the only method for those things. And, you know, now you see all these like cross-border payment things. You see all the kind of financial instruments that are coming around that. I mean, I think who knows where it ends, right? I'm definitely not a futurist, but I think that you got to imagine it's going to keep moving. But at the same time, COVID's kind of taught us a lot about logistics and about maybe some resiliency and maybe even some, you better start doing some things locally, not just always buy things in. So I don't know where it goes, but it's just created this beast of a commerce engine that just didn't exist before. I think there's still lots to be done around there. And I don't think that's really going to stop. Yeah, totally agree. I think we're just starting to get past the, we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg as far as the lessons we learned from the COVID stuff. And it's got implications, like you said, in so many different areas. So yeah, definitely. It's crazy. But I think what's amazing, it's just kind of like, you don't hear why digital anymore. At Microsoft, we hear Satya talk sometimes, and I like a couple of his comments, which is, say what you will about what's happening in the world. And depending on where you are, we're all experiencing different headwinds. And COVID's Mm -hmm. kind of like definitely not gone away. It's just we're managing. But he's like, please give me a scenario in any circumstance where doing more digital isn't going to help you run your business, whatever it may be, like productivity, calm, like whatever it is, no matter what problem you experience, there's a digital version of a solution that might help you move past it in some regard, not everything, but so this notion of like, yeah, it is just not going to stop. And I, yeah, I think sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around it. And I don't mean like the whole just sitting there and using your phone and being social, but just the fact that there's business problems, there's communication problems, there's dealing with your remote employees, there's dealing with, you know, people are in hybrid mode, there's dealing with, you know, logistics problem. How do you make sure people are happy when they work that way? None of this stuff is going to get simpler, but digital is a way through it, regardless of maybe how you factor it. It's true. That's true. And you're right. We did used to have that argument all the time. Why digital, right? And pretty much blew that out of the water. That actually brings another thing to mind. By no means, I've only been out here in this region operating maybe the last five years. And one thing I've been learning as I keep working in this region is there's still a lot of entrenched traditional enterprises that haven't really started their digital transformation journeys. And they still have a lot of market share. And so we're still in the middle of this digital natives versus people who haven't gone digital yet. What do you see in that battle right now? Where are we in that battle? I think it's like, it's, I think it's a foregone conclusion that digital is happening. I think that each, let's say, enterprise or entity has to wrap their own head around where to go with it. So I'll give you right. an example of, I had met with a group of kind of entrepreneurs and people involved in the Indonesian banking industry. And they were on a trip to Singapore looking at the different government programs, the startup. And they're from the large and trans-Indonesian banks. They're just trying to learn. And it was a very open, candid discussion. Um, And someone said that, like, you know, why do you think things get created even when, like, we have banks and we have the ability? And I said, like, well, because they're still solving problems. So if you look at a very real example of this, there's a startup in Indonesia called Flip. And it's just to easy send money to each other, right? Is the basic use, but then you can also have businesses. Now in Singapore, we all have pay now and some basic stuff that the government and the banks together, you know, I don't even know how it got created, to be honest with you, but 
I know I kind of can't live without it. And I've assumed that it probably always been there. But in Indonesia, that didn't exist. And even the banks and the government haven't created it. So Flip comes along and just says, shouldn't this be simpler to send money to each other? And then they're done and it's growing like a weed. So these people were asking me, why did that happen? I'm like, well, if you didn't build the function as the bank, then somebody's going to go build it as a thing. It doesn't mean like the bank shouldn't have done it or that the bank couldn't do it. I mean, the question is, they didn't do it, right? So so I think that's always going to happen. The question is, do you want to tackle it yourself or do you let someone come in and do it for you, which is a competitor, right? And this is what I run into. I run into a lot of like this organization you were talking about the question, even the question itself baffles people like you and me, right? Like it baffles us that someone would say, well, why would they build that? What, who needs because it? Problem, we didn't offer it. <laughs> yeah, right. Who needs it, right? But you, then you look, I mean, even as a bank, you look at Indonesia, you look at Vietnam or Philippines. These are largely unbanked populations, right? So as a bank, you would look at the problem and say, yeah, there's a large part of our population that doesn't use our services. And it would be easier if we made it digital yeah. because they all use cell phones and they all use laptops. Why didn't they think of yeah. that, right? So at the end of the day, I mean, like for me and you, adapt or die is quite, it's quite an obvious. Yeah, statement, you wake right? up every day almost die. thinking about it, right? <laughs> exactly. Digital is coming. Yeah. you got to make that move. What percentage of these enterprises, these old school enterprises, do you think will end up dying instead of adapting? I don't know because I don't think... Unless I keep track of it incorrectly, I don't think what you see is a lot of deaths. I think what you see is relevancy. Maybe the relevancy moves past them. But in some regards, it's funny. You see this in Singapore with, I'm pretty sure a couple of years ago, it's comfort's dead and they're going to get destroyed. And, you know, and I'm sure we were all using Grab and Gojek and whatever the other things that were. Th- and I always remember that Comfort has this SMS booking. I don't know if everybody knows about it. You can basically, right. you know, the Comfort number and you say book and your zip code. And as long as your payment thing and everything's set up, it just comes to you. And it was really funny, even in the boon of like, I was still using that because I'm like, it's so convenient. I just book my zip code and it comes. And I think Comfort's doing pretty well. So in some sense, they've responded to it in other ways than other places haven't. I think everybody has to do that. Yeah. I think that none of us probably do a good job of tracking the irrelevancy chart plus death, to be honest, until maybe you read about, hey, do, do I even go there anymore? So I myself don't yeah. know how I keep tabs on it, but I do know that it's probably happening all around us every day. I think the question is, how do these people actually compete with it if they do want to stay relevant? Because that was one of the questions that came up. Was like, How do you do innovation if you're this old company? Because it's not as simple as build an app because that's not really what it's about. And then it's you not. see these, it's about yeah, differentiation, but how do you do it? Right. Like, how do you go through those steps? And that's where some people right. are looking at, like they have an accelerator inside their company or they have an innovation studio or they bring someone in to do design thinking. But I do think that like mm-hmm. one of the things that, like you just said with the whole adapter die, if you're building a startup like with you and Paul, it's it's mm. make it or die, right? Like there isn't a gray yeah. area, right? Like you guys either have to revenue, raise funds, grow. And if you don't, it will be over and it'll be a swifter experience. That I think what happens with all these big companies is that whatever they're doing in innovation, it doesn't necessarily get that same 
adapt or die within it. Sure, the whole company feels it. But they don't, yeah, they don't feel that urgency. And I don't know how you fix that problem because I've never been put in charge of something big and old. And, you know, someone could say maybe that's what I'm doing at Microsoft. But it's, you know, I'm saying like you live with that notion every day. It forces a certain behavior. But if you're over here at like, let's just say X bank and X old bank is doing just fine, they say, we really want you guys to go innovate. Well, but if you're still kind of getting your paycheck and getting fed, and maybe the project dies and no harm, no foul, they're not actually feeling what you feel. And I don't know how you solve that problem. I think, well, the reason why I think about it all the time, I mean, like you said, we're kind of smaller. We're a little bit more nimble. We feel we feel these changes in the environment more. We're more sensitive to these changes in the environment than, than a, a C-suite at the top of a thousand per 10,000 person in enterprise. But it seems to me when I watch, because, you know, I do a lot of consulting to these larger organizations, it seems to me that the term you use is relevancy, right? Relevance, like the way it is, is you're relevant until yeah, you're it suddenly happens. Right? Right? Like, yeah. It just happens. And actually there were indicators and there were red flags, but you weren't watching them. You weren't measuring yep. them. One day you just see that your price drops X amount and you're like, well, well why did that happen? Oh, because we failed to catch this wave or whatever. And you're right. Nobody really knows what the solution is, but I think that larger organizations have to start thinking in those terms because digital is here. It's here to stay. It's coming. It's the future. It would be funny if like 10 years from now, we both get, (laughs) but I feel like it's here to stay. All the indicators. I think sometimes people go so far to describe businesses that have no uh, physical things to them. And I think that's where there's a lot of amazing businesses that are like physical and digital augments them that like, it's more of the innovation around solving problems and creating markets and doing things than purely like a digital only thing. I mean, I'm always marvel at some physical businesses and what they do. And I have a friend who's left the industry is a tech guy like us and he's left the industry and we keep tabs of each other. And I was like, what are you doing next? He goes, oh, dude, it's crazy. I'm going into manufacturing for lifestyle things that I find that are white spaces in Southeast Asia. And he's building his manufacturing line. And I'm, and I'm fascinated. I'm like, dude, it's real stuff. I'm like, isn't that cool? And yeah. I don't even know what is. Yeah. And I don't even know what the technical stuff he's going to yeah. put around it. Maybe not so much yet to begin with. But I do know one thing. From day one, he's trying to figure out the digital selling. Like, where is he going to use Amazon? Is he going to use this? And how is he going to do all yeah. that? Like, Without effect, he's digital all the way in some regard, even though there's this physical thing and it's a green space for him. But if you think about the complexity for someone that's already been going and having to merge those worlds, it's not easy. It's quite fascinating, like how you solve some of those problems when you have both worlds to deal with. Most definitely. I think that's where the excitement is, right? Because like I said, in my opinion, everything is just about solving problems. And there are some unique problems in that space that no one ever even thinks about until it has to get done. And so I think that's what makes that stuff exciting. I don't profess to know your friend or anything about your friend, but I'm sure that's what drives Yeah, I think he's kind of like, hey, I get to bring the best of both worlds. Maybe some of my, you know, a hobby that I like, plus manufacturing, plus my digital brain, and and build a business from day one, which is also quite fascinating. That's pretty cool. That's really cool, actually. 
which I guess I'll use that as my segue then. I'll use that as my segue into, so your current role, you're over at Microsoft and you're dealing with startups and digital native businesses. Tell us a little bit about that role. Tell us a little bit about the types of things that Microsoft is doing to these digital natives. Yeah, I think that most startups probably have somewhere in their journey the, oh, I need to put my business on one of the clouds. I think that's a common. Now, if you mm-hmm. come from when I was building up, it actually used to be, we got to rack up some servers, which I do have that in my past and that's all gone. But yeah. today, you know, you wake up and I guess some people, it could be anything from, hey, I could just use Airtable and that's my business, right? Other people get a little more in the weeds and, you know, I know people that build web pages using the GitHub pages and that's their website. So let's assume everybody mm-hmm. has the, I need to put my stuff somewhere. And I guess more traditionally, a startup says, I could be using AWS, Google, or Azure, or even like there's Heroku and DigitalOcean and Cloudflare. And I'm not here to pitch one or the other, but it's more of this, that happens, right? You're going to find some place to do it. I think under Satya Nadella, which is if you externally look at Microsoft, and some of us have been around Microsoft, as a person for what the majority of their life i mean i started on windows yes. and visual basic and all this kind of stuff yeah, yeah I think, same same i was using those windows 3.1 yeah, I mean, it's, discs, it's, you know, it's historically with a lot of us like yeah. it or not and then even in the gaming sphere yeah, yeah yeah i think under satya microsoft has done an amazing job of acquiring assets linkedin github some others and has also just been culturally remaking the company right around what we see for, hey, equipping everybody to build what they need for whatever they do is Microsoft's mantra. I know that's not the exact marketing slogan, but it's that. And that's in every kind of like vertical segment. I would say Microsoft has done some fantastic jobs in a bunch of segments. And I think has realized over the last couple of years that we could be doing a better job in startups and digital natives. And I was at AWS and it was doing the same kind of function, but purely technical. And to be honest, I think all of us look for growth, you know, and when someone said, hey, would you be willing to do this? But for Microsoft, but it's the whole thing. It's the business. It's the tech. And I'm like, I've never rolled a GM hat in my life. I've done some startups and obviously you guys are all senior leaders. You do everything. But at these big companies, you're kind of put in these boxes But for someone to say, hey, your box is the top box looking at the whole problem, hey, I'm like, that's quite interesting. And then I have mad respect for the Microsoft brand. I think it's like I said, I've grown up around it. I see it. And I've seen the change. You know, it was really funny. I was standing behind somebody getting their. I was with my kids yesterday and then the smoothie boost juice, right? The smoothie thing out at the thing. And a whole group of, I think they were like high schoolers or college people sitting in front of me. And of course, they're whipping through their phones with WhatsApp and Snapchat and all this. And what's funny is I saw two or three of them using Microsoft Outlook for email, which I thought was interesting because they were not of age that they had jobs, I don't think. And I was like, they just see it as a good email client, which frankly, I think that mobile Outlook is pretty decent cross-platform email client. So just this whole notion of like building things for helping people to do their, their stuff. And I think Azure is is something that's just amazing capability. But if also, if you look at GitHub, you look at Visual Studio, you look at all the pieces that you might need to run a startup, people use LinkedIn to find jobs. 
this whole thing is something that we have not articulated well into the startup community to say, hey, if you're a startup and you're two guys and you're going to go build out, you're going to need all these pieces. You're going to need a comms tool. You're going to need a place to store your code. You're going to need some developer tools. Granted, I won't argue you could get all these pieces from different people. Got it. I'm not. It's true, right? Mm -hmm. Best of breed. But you could also decide to say, I don't mind getting them all from Microsoft. And by the way, we have a credits kind of a freebie program for it. So that's the startups.microsoft.com. We call it Founders Hub. Um, and what I'm doing is just kind of looking at the totality of APAC and saying, can we do better than what we're doing when it comes to working with startups? And that's of all shapes and sizes. So I've only been here about four months. I'm hiring out a team. And the idea here is to create a competitive ecosystem for all startups, which I think all startups should be appreciative of. Like you want us and Google and AWS competing hard for your business so that you get the best of everything. Dude. And I think it's good for the community. And at the yeah. end of the day, that's kind of what I move on, which is, you know, turning Microsoft into a competitor in the digital native startup space is good for the community. And that's my vantage point. And I'm just a few months into it. And that's still where I sit. <laughs> Would you say it's an oversimplification to call yourself a Microsoft? I wouldn't creator? like not. It's basically because you have startups of all shapes and sizes, it can get complicated because you could have a person that like I just had coffee with someone. It's literally one founder and their CTO is joining and they have decks and they have an angel round and they're going and nothing's even been coded yet. And my pitch to him was, mm. you know, you're going to need email, right? You're going to need documents and you're going to need video conferencing. Plus, you're going to need a place to store your code. Oh, and you're going to have to put your code somewhere to run it. Okay. Microsoft has all those things. So for that person, it's kind of like your tech stack in a box, right? That's great. But if, and I think yeah. for those people, that's a simple conversation. But if you're over here and you're like been running for four years and you're on AWS or GCP or Heroku or DigitalOcean, that's a different conversation because you're like, do you want to move this thing? That's more complicated. And then if you're a giant startup, that's even more complicated. I'm looking at all of it. So I think these conversations change, but at the end of the day, it's we think Microsoft can be a good partner for startups of all shapes and sizes across different parts of our technology. Some of it could be the Azure stuff. Some of it could be Power Apps, which is the whole low-code, no-code thing, which is actually growing like weed. Some of it could be just the things you want to say, hey, I want to use GitHub and the developer tools. So I think everybody has a different viewpoint of what they might see in us. I'm representing all of it. And I think different startups of different okay. cohorts are going to see it differently i hope that's not too complicated but that's how it all that's the big not at all not at all i think from our perspective as well and like you said different shapes and sizes different phase in their journey and that means different requirements different things that they need and you're just trying to be there to provide yeah i think it's just enable them to build phases, and i think right? if you're a gaming company like we just launched a bunch yeah. of amazing things that basically puts a lot of the gaming platform in a box and for gaming people, that might be super useful. Other people say, no, I'm going to go build all that stuff. Like, you know, everybody has a different viewpoint. But one of the things I always tell people, and you yeah. know this from building the startup, is like, at the end of the day, guys, it's what do you build that a customer wants to pay you for? And most of the time, the customer doesn't ask you how it was built. Maybe they want to be curious about it, but they're generally like, are you delivering me a product that I'll be willing to pay for? If Microsoft can help 
that startup 100%. in any form or fashion along that journey, I'd love to talk to you. And I'm just a very open door policy kind of person. I keep a calendar going for coffee meetings and virtual meetings. And I tell anybody, if you want to talk to us so we can learn more about you and you want to learn about more of us, that's great. Because I think that's where we're at with wanting great. to work with people. And again, it's just to provide a competitive ecosystem. And that's that I think everybody can benefit from. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. You were talking about these one, two men shops. And then you moved on and you said there are these other companies that are they're already in the middle of their journey, five, six years in, maybe a little under 10. And let's just say that this is a problem that I run into a lot. I run into a lot of people who are like, you know, let's just say 90% already on the cloud. They're using all Azure or all AWS or all GCP. I've never had to do this, but let's say that I'm, and I would assume you might have to run into this problem in your current role. You might have to get someone who's 90 to 100% on AWS and <laughs> persuade them to come over. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's not that? easy, right? And I think all of the, you know, I mean, I guess I've worked also at AWS and I was doing the other thing. So it really depends what people's yeah. situations are. Like one of the things that we notice as companies march on and get bigger, for some people, it's really a simple, like, I'm all in on this. I don't want to talk to anybody. Have a nice day. And that's fine. Like, those people, it's like, hi, it's nice to meet yeah. you. If I could ever help you, great. But as you talk to people, you'll find that there's these anomalies or various buckets. And what we see more and more is kind of this core workload phenomenon of, like, when you press the button on the app, it's calling that and it's doing its thing. But behind it is, a data lake that is actually fairly disconnected from the push of that button and is actually different. And then you might even see that that's being run on Snowflake or being run on somebody else. So data is largely in the bigger shops. Remember, we're speaking to the big shop, not the... The data is largely starting to take a life of its own and becoming almost a separate system. The AIML stuff is starting to look the same way. And then even... Maybe you bundle yeah. this with data, maybe you don't. The whole, what am I using to look at it and write reports on it and share with people is another thing. So yes. in some of the big shops, we actually already it see is. where they're saying, hey, my core workload is this, but my BI stuff is that, and my ML stuff is this. And in some of those cases, mm -hmm. I've already seen two or three vendor shops with that. Now, maybe it's not GCP or Azure, but it's whatever name for that thing. That's starting to happen. And then I think you're actually going to see a whole thing grow up around low code, no code, because, you know, all of us, and I'm sure you know this, like, how many, do you have enough cybersecurity experts? Do enough of them exist? I don't even know. It's funny because my son's Probably, looking at no. trying to figure out what he's going <laughs> to do. And he's 14 and he's, you know, I could do this, yeah. I that. And then one of the things was cybersecurity for like an IT program. I said, and, he, and I, it's a three-year program. I said, look, I'll bet you a thousand sing. And it'll be cash money that you will have job offers mm. during or right after that program. Like, because, you know, and, and I don't even think yes. you need to say, I'm going on to poly. I'm going to, if you just know how to do things and I go, and I guarantee you'll find a place to intern and the place you intern probably wants to hire you because they can't get enough of cybersecurity people. Tell me, give me a call. <laughs> Tell me, give me a call. I think the same things happen in code, right? right? Like, if you look at how amazing APAC yeah. is, I'm sure you're saying, I can't get enough skilled individuals in the door 
in our various countries that we're working at. Yes. And I think you see like there's a startup I like here in Singapore called Locify, which is taking it takes your Figma. I think it takes your Figma drawings for apps and it does the React stuff behind the scenes for you. So it's from drawing like low code. And then Microsoft has all our power app stuff, which is growing like a weed. I think some of your bigger shops are saying, hey, we have this hard stuff over here. This is going to need engineers. We built this data model that everybody can use. Our BI stuff's here. Oh, and by the way, for these basic, you know, you need an app inside your shop that has a form that does this. You don't need an engineer for that. You're going to go and use this stuff and point it to that. I think more and more the big shops will largely start to look maybe even like what enterprises look like, where due to the complexity plus cost, plus maybe disseminating these features around your global centers, you're going to actually have to carve these up different ways. So for those people, we start talking to them about, yeah, what does this look like? What is that like? Can we help you with that? Maybe it's not always the core workload thing. Other people, you know, if you're running a shop, you know this, and I'll make this very simple. Your entirety of your spend is probably people, marketing, and cloud. Those are the three big buckets, and every startup's going to have them. Those are the big buckets, yeah. If you're having a downturn, or maybe the market didn't work for you, or you're going to have to cut back, it's going to come out of those three, right? And it's like, what are you going to do? Lay off people? Maybe. Yeah, you're probably going to ratchet it down. That's why Google and a few people said if there's a downturn, they see it in their stuff. I think Facebook's already seeing this. The third is reduce your tech spend. I don't even have to call it cloud. Reduce your tech spend. How do you want to do that? Maybe you start looking for places to sign deals or come up with a cheaper, better, faster way of doing something. I think your big shops that are like your series Mm -hmm. A, B, C, D kind of shops, if they're looking at any of these inflection points... I guarantee you the investors and CFOs say, we're going to have to go after these three buckets somehow. It doesn't mean shut things off. We know that you need to run a business, but it might be becoming smarter about right. it. And I think I mean, some belt, people, the, you know, and just looking the other thing you see is acquisitions and mergers yeah. where like, if you guys were going to buy a company and you know you run on this and they run on that, you're not just going to shut it down. You're going to have to figure out. So we see these hybrid yeah. thing as a very real thing. So you would say I think it's legit. I don't think you wake up and actually build a multi-cloud system from day one. We all know that. That probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think via acquisition, right. you like saying, hey, I have this big ML, so, yeah, thing, the ML thing to sit over here because I really like the product better. That happens as well. So those conversations, going back to your initial question, they're complicated. But we definitely like to help people understand mm-hmm. where we might fit into that puzzle piece. May not be everything. That's okay. I don't think the okay. world works that way. It could be a piece of it. Um, I just think it's a relationship, you really, right? right? You just want to help people out. <laughs> And we see it around the development yeah. stuff. I mean, how many people don't use GitHub? Or, you know, there's a there's sure people use other right. things. I'm not saying okay. there's not another product, but it's a hugely successful product. Now you take the whole co-pilot stuff, which is growing like we kind of command line completion for code. It's pretty intense, right? So I see lots of opportunity for Microsoft, but I would say each company's journey might see a different version of Microsoft, right? So actually, command line completion for code, right? That's interesting to me. If it works on anything yeah, like so my autocorrect, I don't know. You should check it out. It's just GitHub Copilot. They have about, I think, a million users on it after launch. And it's just learning from everybody's stuff. It uses your stuff and their stuff. Okay. And it's a machine learning model. But okay. people are seeing pretty amazing. You can That's go see some cool. videos online that people are sharing that people are like, hey, how do I live without this? But, you know, okay. I think the whole Copilot. You know, machine learning there's so many different aspects. One is like what, and I'm sure you guys use it with your stuff. Like, what do you learn about your data? 
and you know for threat detection and stuff like that but i also feel like right. machine learning is going to eventually get poured into all the day-to-day stuff that'll just make your day-to-day a little bit more intelligent i think that's because and of course that's the first stop yeah. because that's the most data that we have right that's the thing that we have the most data about yeah. so definitely that's the first stop most definitely i think as well i agree there Actually, a little bit about a step back into that, which cloud, multi-cloud, all that stuff. Um, We were looking at the numbers and towards the end of last year, Q4 of 2021, Microsoft has 21% of the cloud infrastructure market and it's reportedly starting to take chomps out of AWS's share year over year. Are there anything now? I mean, you haven't been there long, but since you have been there in Microsoft, is there any particular factors that you think play a big role? Look, I I think it's uh, when you're the number one, which AWS is, it's kind of like everybody's taking a chomp, right? Hats off to AWS for this amazing, like they just had an amazing quarter and how they keep having this repeatable growth on AWS. It's phenomenal, right? I think people say it's an $80 billion business now or something, just AWS, or it's a runway to 78 billion or something. But at the same time, I think that, Choice is really good in the ecosystem. And I think what Microsoft has done a phenomenal job over the last couple of years is this focus on where can we meet you in the cloud? And one of the things you can see us putting a lot of emphasis on is this thing called industry clouds. And what we mean by that is most people kind of rock up Mm -hmm. to a cloud, a bunch of services, and I go and build everything I need on top of it. But I think the world, as the world keeps getting more and more complex... You don't want to necessarily go and build from scratch every little thing you need for everything. So Microsoft has this notion of an industry cloud where we're taking Azure plus pieces by industry. So maybe it's finance or manufacturing or metaverse and saying, what can we build into it that will meet a particular need for somebody so they can move faster to their end business rather than kind of build everything up? I think this focus and really the focus on what's been happening on for developers and the tooling is just really starting to see like it's kind of coming into its own. But it's been a multi-year push. So I think that like Microsoft's made some amazing right. strides with Azure. And I think this industry cloud focus you'll see is another step in what we're doing to kind of make life easier for certain sectors. And yeah, these are amazing, huge competitive industries. And you know this, the overall market keeps growing. And I think the numbers still show, like, I'm terrible at every little fact yep. and figure. The, the majority of the world is still on-prem. People forget that. So if you think about yeah. the opportunity ahead yeah, yeah, yeah. for someone like Microsoft, given that the world is still moving into the cloud, it's just phenomenal. Most definitely. From what I'm hearing, then, it really strikes a chord with me because here at Harangi, we tell people, hey, let us worry about your cybersecurity because cybersecurity is not your business. We'll worry about the cybersecurity part so you can focus on what you guys do, right? Whereas you guys are saying, hey, it's really, like you said, we're, no one's paying you to build these things. Yeah, they're only going to pay for the thing they're, that they're adding to the right? customer. <laughs> what? Right. So let us build that stuff so you don't have to worry about it. So you can in turn push that value on that other end where you really need to be focusing anyway. I think there's also lots of opportunity awesome, for like world of, really world's good. heading like, Hybrid is like a reality. You do three days a week in the office and two days a week home. And I just take my laptop with me from place to place. At work, I plug it into the monitor and home, I don't. But everything kind of functions. Like 
Microsoft building a lot of stuff even around this for where we're going with teams and presence. And it knows when you're in the meeting room. It knows when you're not in the meeting room. You know, these type of things all have like a cloud permutation to them because you can build around them with teams and stuff. So I think it's really powerful to kind of have the fact that, yeah, there is a cloud, but there's an ecosystem with teams and office that says it knows presence. And you even see teams where people are just building their app to live inside of teams, not actually live as a normal app because teams has such a a massive installed base. So I think there's lots of interesting things. I think, you know, my journey is I'm four months in, I'm trying to wrap my head around what pieces of this will be useful to startups and digital natives because it's not everything and they have a different problem sometimes with what they're building but it's super exciting and i think you know i just go back to there's a lot like you said the problems keep coming so what's fun is to kind of keep saying yep and that gives us lots of opportunities for people that we can work with take the overall market take the demographics i tell people over and over there's no better place i want to be than asean right or at this stage of the game with some intersections yeah. of the cloud because it's just, you know, it's not done yet. Is it another five years, 10 years? I have no idea, but it's, it's the demographics kind of show us that there's a lot more to do. And, you know, the problems keep getting harder, especially in cybersecurity, especially in all the connectivity, people working yep. from home. That's kind of exasperated these systems, which means there's more things to fix. Yeah, well, <laughs> most definitely. I mean, the attack surface hasn't just... Yeah increased it's evolving almost like exponential so, um, increases because yeah. it's like like you said more devices yeah. coming more complexity the surface mm-hmm. area changing like i you yes. know numbers but it's not just a little bit harder it's x harder you know and we saw it no, during covid just the amount of like x times harder, you know yeah. things that were happening because people moved from being in their secure office network environments to like working from coffee shops it made it even harder mm-hmm. to keep everything kind of locked down. There's no end in sight really to the problems. I think that the question is, what are the solutions no, that no, no. map to business opportunity? 100%. I think that's been the big theme here that we've been talking about. And I think it's a big theme of just generally what we do, what you and I do, and where other people see problems, we exciting. see opportunities. So uh, yeah, it's definitely yeah. exciting, super exciting. We're just reaching cool. the top of our time here. So Michael, for all of our viewers and listeners out there, one thought that you, one little takeaway that you wanted to... to yeah, so I think it's like, before we it's decide. not a sales like, speech. It's just more that? like Microsoft would love to hear from you. And I think that we can do a better job than what we've done in the past to listening and reaching out to startups. So I'm on LinkedIn. It's just Michael Smith Jr. Friend me, send me a message. I'll book time with you. I'm in a listen mode, but I also love meeting people and hearing about startups. And that's kind of what's fun about being in this business. So if there's anything we can do to help, if there's anything that you're curious about what Microsoft does that I can help, you can just feel free to ping me. LinkedIn's probably the easiest place to find me, but that's my only speech. Yeah. Yeah. If any of you guys listen to this episode, <laughs> yeah. I think it's pretty sure yeah. now that's what gets this guy excited. Startup. Right. So yeah, yeah reach out. Michael Smith Jr. Thanks, Mark. on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Michael, thank you so much for uh, coming on and yeah. dropping the knowledge. Thank it was you. pretty cool. It was a great convo. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we'd be happy to have uh, another great. time. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah.